Jesus. Tonight, you have an incredible opportunity. I've, I met um, Gabriel Striden through Andy Bird. Andy Bird's a good friend of mine. Uh, Andy is uh, head of Fire and Fragrance there in Kona, YWAM. He runs the Send. Andy's everywhere. Uh, Andy and I developed a special friendship in 2019. And I had the opportunity and privilege to go to Kona in March. And I was at Andy's house and just blown away. It was my first time to ever be on a YWAM base. It was like the mecca of YWAM um, there at, I don't even know if I should say that, but um, it, was, it was amazing. It's like all the nations are there, all these young adults. And I was just blown away by the impact of YWAM and then what was happening on the base. And I said, man, how can I connect upper room? How can we get upper room and what we're doing? How can we connect uh, to this world beyond just our friendship? How do we connect? And he said, you know what? You need to find a base. You need to find a base. And I was like, well, of all the bases that you're overseeing, which base would you say is most like our tribe? And he didn't miss a beat. He said, it's in South Africa. He said, it's the fire and fragrance base. It's run by one of the most dynamic leaders I've ever run with. His name is Gabriel Striden. And so Andy introduced us, and Gabriel and I have been uh, on Zoom for about six months. We would do a monthly, bi-monthly Zoom, just getting to know one another. Uh, it was really wild, the first Zoom call we had. Um, there was this feature on Zoom that I, neither one of us had seen. But you know like when you text someone, you're like, happy birthday, and the balloons fly up on the, on the screen? So we're talking, and we're sharing each other's story, and it was like when... When, when someone would say something we're celebrating, our Zoom screen, these balloons would go up. And I was like, bro, what are you doing? He goes, I'm not doing anything. What are you doing? And like four or five times, these balloons just came up. And we we're like, I think the Lord's celebrating our relationship. Like, he's really excited about this. And so uh, several months ago, I said, man, is there any chance that you would be in the States? And uh, he was in Kona this last week. And he said, man, I'm going to jump over to Dallas and spend the weekend with you. So he's been staying with my family Friday night, Saturday spent his services all weekend, and I wanted to tee him up to brand and tattoo this Sunday night crew. I feel like he's carrying a word for us. And so um, would you guys give Gabriel Striden a great upper room welcome? Thank you, bro. I'm going to have Yako. So two... Two of my favorite South Africans are in the house. This is Yaku Boyens. He, uh, you know him. Um, I, what, what this brother is doing in our nation, uh, just to bring awareness to trafficking. You guys can sit down. Just with trafficking, he's on the front lines of policy. If, if you don't know this brother, please follow him. He has an incredible ministry. Um, him and I have been running together for several years. I think the world of him, uh, I just don't know someone that's doing the kind of work that Yaku's doing. And uh, he's from South Africa. So they met and they started immediately speaking Afrikaan. And I was, felt like they were talking about me. They weren't. Um, but just, they both played rugby in, professional rugby in South Africa. Just these two guys are awesome. So I wanted you to pray for him. Would you do that? Yeah, Father God, I thank you that Gabriel is an Ezekiel 33-7 man. He's a watchman on the wall. Father, I thank you. This is a watchman that would warn. He's a trumpet. And tonight, Father, I pray that the angels would blow the shofar. 
that his family in South Africa would feel and experience that something is moving. I thank you for this brother in Christ. I thank you for Michael's heart to invite him in. And I pray, Father God, that tonight you'll touch his mouth with a hot coal, that the words that come out of his mouth will be Psalm 81.10. As he opens his mouth, you'll fill it. We thank you, Father, that from heaven you will speak into this house. We honor this house. We thank you for Michael and Teresa. I pray that tonight you raise up Gabriel's hands and you embody him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, guys. Well, good evening, Upper Room. How are you guys doing? So good to be with you. Um, Michael, Arisa, you guys have hosted me so well. It's been so much fun. Um, and this evening, I was, I'm kind of like, I'm the missions guy, right? I'm a YWAMer. Hallelujah. Love my job. I, I can't believe um, my job is to tell people who don't know about Jesus that He is real. Man, it is the greatest privilege in the universe. There's that moment when you see that spark, right? When somebody realizes that Jesus is real and He died for them, He rose up and now He's interceding on their behalf and the Holy Spirit touches them. That look, mm, mm, there's something about that. So this, this evening, um, as I prayed, the whole time this phrase came up for me. And um, I was like, Lord, but I'm kind of here to talk about the nations. I'm here to, to go specifically after, like, what does it look like to live um, with a heart in the nations? And the whole time this phrase keeps coming up. And um, this phrase that came up is obsession. The whole last two weeks I'm praying. I'm praying for you guys. I feel the Lord says, Gabe. There's an importation of obsession I want to give these guys. And this, this evening, as, as I've been praying, I'm sitting there, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. This phrase comes to me, and I, this is kind of like the title of my sermon tonight, is that holiness is pure love. And then Michael gets up and he talks about Mary of Bethany, and that's literally like everything I'm thinking. I'm like, Lord, thank you. He's setting me up for success. But tonight, as I'm here sharing with you guys, and coming all the way from South Africa to share a little bit of my heart. I'm going to tell a little bit of a story and we're going to jump in the scriptures. But here's what I want to tell you, Upper Room. To those who are lukewarm, people who are in love will always look like religious. To the lukewarm, lovers look religious. And the longer I walk with the Lord the more and more I get convinced, right, that holiness at the end of the day is not trying harder, it is seeing clearer. It is the very fact that the one that I am beholding is producing love inside of me that needs to respond in a certain way. And this evening I believe there's a response that the Holy Ghost is after. Right, I believe there's something, even the worship this evening, it's like, it was as if the Lord is like calling. It's like, come, come. And those who have ears, they will hear. Those who have ears, they will hear. So be, before I jump completely and let me say one more thing and I'll pray for myself. Um, first time I was ever here, I sat about there somewhere and I was here for exactly 20 minutes. Right, I was here with Andy Bird and um, he was teaching in a different ministry and I kind of begged him, can we please just come? Please, I just need to see the place. Like quickly, 
All right, now Afrikaans is vannag. Just quickly, quickly. Amen. <laughs> and so we drove here literally for 20 minutes. I sit down and um, I think Dean prayed for me behind me. He was praying for me. And um, all of a sudden, there's probably like six people in the room, maybe 10. And the lady who's leading prayer goes like, I just want to know, is there anybody here from South Africa? And I like, I like open up my eyes. I was like, what? Like anybody from South Africa? And I look around because maybe there's somebody else. And I was the only one, right? So I, I walk forward. And um, about a month later, we're about to plant a mission space, the base that I now have the privilege to lead in South Africa. And this lady doesn't know anything about me. And she lays her hands on me. And she says, I believe the Lord is about to birth a movement in South Africa, right? And, and she starts prophesying this wild word. Now, I want to say upper room, it seems that in some strange way, God has connected us, right? I'm from the smallest town. It's a tiny little place in South Africa. But here's the thing. Our God is writing stories, guys, that we cannot believe. The longer I follow him, the more I'm convinced, man, I just need to stay in step with you, Jesus. The more I stay in step with you, the more we see things happen that we could not have dreamt. Okay, so put your hand on your heart. I just want to pray for myself. Father, we love you. We love you. This evening, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just come and break open the word to us. You are our best friend. I ask tonight, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. Come, Lord, and reveal the Son. Jesus name. Amen. So I grew up in a um in an amazing Christian family. Um my first ever encounter with the Lord was at 11 years old. And um as an 11 year old boy um I'm I got met by the Holy Spirit in a profound way with my dad. And um I cried for hours. And I remember my dad pulled the car off the road and he's like concerned and he's like are you okay like what's happening and remember the only phrase that came out of my mouth is that if if this is what heaven feels like I just want to die right now if this is what it feels like to be with God I why would people want to keep living like if this is and, and this 11 year old I'm like a kiddo right but but eternity touched me something of love touched a little kid and ruined me because the problem is the moment love touches you it never untouches you right love leaves a mark right and that love imparts hunger it brands you to be dissatisfied with lesser lovers that's why you can always know when you're around people who's been up the mountain there's people who talk about the mountain and there's been people who's been up the mountain. Right, Seth Yates. You guys know Seth? Right, Seth Yates has been up the mountain. Right, I, he's here of the prayer room. Me and him led tons of prayer together when I was in Kona. The thing I loved about Seth was I knew when we're going to get together, he's been there. Right, and, and you don't have to explain it. He knows it. And fast forward. Um, I go into professional sports 
and God really blessed me and I did pretty well for a few years, but in the midst of all that, um, God arrogant and prideful, turned away from the Lord and got involved in some pretty intense drugs. Um, at the age of 22, on my then girlfriend, now my wife's 21st birthday, I got radically born again. Um, and two weeks later, for the first time, I shared the gospel at the high school. About 40 kids give their lives to Jesus. And um, so my first deliverance, like it was just like, bah, 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 bah. everything just started happening, right? And about a year after that, one of my best friends, he, he is my best friend. Um, also, he was the best man at my wedding. He played for the same team I played for. He's a big guy like me, right? And we both got saved. And we sat in his fraternity, in his room. And there's like people partying next door to us. And we just met Jesus. So I remember all that I wanted to do is be with Jesus, right? I didn't have an upper room. I had back then Stephanie Frizzell. And um, I, had, I had YouTube and I had hunger. And it seemed that that's what heaven required was hunger. Didn't really require anything else. It's like, you're hungry, great, let's go. And I remember, think about two guys my size. I'm sitting on the one side of the room. He's sitting on the other side of the room. And on the wall, we wrote in big letters, in the pursuit of wonder. And we said, I looked at him, his name is FG. I said, FG. He looked at me, he says, Gabe. He said, let's see how close we can get to God without dying. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. Let's see, like how close can we get without just being Enoch? Like, like how close, how much hunger can stir up in us by the Spirit till he just says, Gabe, come home, it's fine. Right, like you're just, you're like banging on the doors of heaven. Let me just take you because it's making so much noise. Right, and, and I'm sitting on the one side of the room. He's sitting on the other side of the room. And when I got saved, I got happy. Right, like I, 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 I didn't cry. I was just happy. Praise God, I'm never going to be held accountable for my sin. Like the blood covers me. Praise the Lord. Shame is no hold on me. Right, and I remember we're in the glory and all that I, I'm just laughing. I'm so happy. I'm just, I'm so joyful. Like I get to know God forever. I will never be alone again. Like that empty dark hole, that abyss that can only be filled by that which is godly has been filled by the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting in that room and joy struck my heart. And he's sitting on the other side of the room, big guy like me, tears are rolling. And he just cries. The next week, a Tuesday night, he brings his girlfriend, now his wife. I bring my girlfriend, now my wife. And we keep going. And um, long story short, over the next few years, it kind of explodes. We're just college students. We're six, seven hundred people a night coming together from different churches. And over the next two years, I think we saw about 3,000 people come to the Lord. Um, and our only goal was this. How close can we get? Psalm 27. I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does that mean? Say, God, I want to see how good you are now. That everybody tells me I will only see then. Like how much can the human soul have 
this side of eternity. I don't want to just live a life that scrapes through. What does it look like if my life is one that is consumed and obsessed with loving the one who gave everything for me? Like what, what does a life look like consumed by love? Right? And here's the thing. The difference between being consumed by love and being consumed by work is when you're consumed by works, you cannot sustain it. If you're consumed by love, love sustains you. You don't sustain it. And so over the years, people will consistently ask me a question. They will say to me, Gabe, like, how much can I give? I know God gave me everything, but is there biblical precedent for obsession? That's a, that's a really good question, right? That's, I, I think it's actually a phenomenal question. Who's ever thought about that, honestly? Who's ever been around really radical people and went like, is that a little bit too much? Right? If you haven't been, you should get new friends. Right? Um, because there's something about somebody who's been touched by love that makes you uncomfortable. Right? It's like when people just get married and they're very lovey-dovey. Right? Covenant love makes you sometimes a little bit uncomfortable because I'm not in that. But if you know it, you celebrate it. So I want us to turn to the Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. I believe there's um, a specific piece of scripture that explains to us biblically how much we're allowed to give. How much we're allowed to give. Now there's a difference between how much God asks and how much I can give. There's a difference between the two. Now, to give you some context for 1 Corinthians 9, is Paul here is going to talk about an athlete and how they train. And the reason he uses an athlete is because the city of Corinth is where the Olympic Games were held. So he knew that the church of Corinth would look at these athletes and they would have a physical representation of what love looks like. Okay? They would have something to measure. And it's important that we see how many times Paul does that throughout the scripture. He does it so many times. He names something. He says, hey, the type of protection God gives you is like a Roman soldier. And then he explains it. Because he understood that we aren't just philosophical beings, which means we don't just live in the idea of seeking wisdom, the world of seeking wisdom of ideas. It's very helpful if we can actually practically behold what's happening because our minds understand this better and then we can ease, more easily enter into the truth of the concept that's being explained. So in this time, he's using an Olympic athlete. Now, before I jump into this, I, I need to give a little bit of just background, just of myself in this in the the world of sports because it will help you understand this scripture so I was a pro rugby player and um, I and I'm not saying this to be weird but it's gonna help you understand the point I'm making um, when I was at my peak I was about 260 and um, I had about 6% body fat and my max bench press I think was 400 and something pounds 
and my max, I think back squat was 730. Okay. Now, no, no. <laughs> you, you, you need to understand this. I'm saying this for a reason. Um, that took me more than a decade. It took me a very, very long time to become that. And I remember as a young athlete, my coaches will always have the skinny guys work out with me. The guys that had to get jacked, right? They go like, hey, go work out with Gabe. And it's not because I knew more than unconditioning coaches. They knew way more than I did. It's not because I knew better what they should eat than the dietitians. They knew way better. The, the, the reason they had these skinny guys walk, work out with me is because I used to be skinny and now I'm not. And they understood that if they can get these young men around somebody that understood the cost of the price, their knowledge mixed with my experience produces fruit. Now, here's the funniest thing that till this day confuses me about both sports and Christianity is the fact that I know young men that was a part of that group training with me and they can talk the talk. They are great players. Like in the sense of like their ability to play way better than I was. But they loved the idea of being big more than they actually was willing to live the life that's required to become a pro athlete. They were gifted enough to do it. And they lived in this idea realm. But when they actually had to eat till they get nauseous because of the amount of calories you burn, they were not willing to pay the price. And it's such a strange phenomenon for somebody from a young age to always say like, hey, I want to be that one day. And then the cost comes in front of you and you go like, man, that was a great idea. Um, I have all the open doors, but I don't think I wanted that much. You with me? First Corinthians 9. Do you not know, verse 24, and I'm reading from the NIV. It says, do you not know that in a race, I'm going to read it all and then I'm going to unpack it. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that would last forever. Therefore, say therefore. I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Wow. Wow. Who here is in some kind of ministry? Can you just raise your hand? Even if you're in ministry school, Anything like that, a volunteer, full arms, no half elbows. Let me see. Okay, most of you in the room, so this is your message tonight. Here's what I want you to see. Paul starts off this thing 
and he makes a statement that sounds totally foolish. He says, do you know that in a race, all the runners run? What? It's a race, Paul. In a race, you run. Then he goes on, he says, but only one receives the prize. And Paul does this interesting, this piece of scripture, the second one we're going to work with. He, he pushes you into this word picture and then he whiplashes it to you. And so he says, do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And then it whiplashes and he goes, so, so you run as to get the prize. And it's as if Paul is speaking to the church and he says, participation is not enough. Well done that you are saved. Now what? Everybody gets the privilege of the blood. What are you going to do with that privilege? He's saying, here's the thing. An athlete doesn't flex that he's running. Why do you flex that you're a Christian? Run as if you want to win something. Live as if you want to do something. Just the fact that you have the name athlete does not mean it's something to be happy about. Everybody can do it. And he makes this distinction between being in a race and what happens by the way, say way, way. that you run. There is a distinction between participating and the way that you run. He goes on and he says, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. Now the ESV says, everyone who competes in the games have self, has self-discipline in all things. Say self-discipline. From the age of 16 to the age of 25, when I got married, hallelujah, um, I didn't eat sugar once. Like, unless I didn't know, but I never went like, hey, get me a chocolate. Do you know why? Because at age 16, I said, I will be a pro athlete and I will be the best. Now, if you would know some of the extremes that the Olympic athletes go for, the level of self-discipline. He says they have self-discipline in all things. And then it goes on and says, because they are reaching for a crown that will perish. Right? He's, made, he's sucking you into the story and then whiplashing it back. And he says, what? We are working for something that will never perish. Do you know what he's asking? If they have that much self-discipline and it will burn at the end of the age, what about you? If you want to know how much of yourself you can give, Paul is saying, look at an Olympic athlete. Look at their desire. What is their desire? It is a crown. But that crown will not last forever. And he's saying, take inventory of your heart 
take inventory of how you lay hold of the discipline given by the Spirit and then ask yourself this question, do I take God seriously? Do I take eternity seriously? It's a simple question and Paul doesn't even ask it that way. He just ignores it. He goes like, they do this, we do that. He makes a third argument. Therefore, I do not run like one aimlessly. Say aimless. So it seems that he is aiming at something. Say something. It's pretty important that we get what he's aiming at. Would you agree with me? Right? So is, is he aiming at uh, not going to hell? No. Because he's speaking to Christians. These are people already under the blood. He's not speaking to people here that's questioning if they're going to be with Jesus one day. He's saying, I already know I'm with him forever, yet still I have an aim. What is that aim? If you don't know what that aim is, it produces in you fear of disappointment. But when you know what the aim is, it produces in you eternal steadfastness. Some of the OG missionaries used to pray this prayer. God, stamp, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Let me see it. Every time my eyes are open, let me see eternity. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. Say slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the price. Say price. So what's the price? That's the question. What's the aim and what's the price? Go to 1 Corinthians 3. Now, Paul just painted this beautiful picture of the zeal and the self-discipline that it requires for an Olympic athlete to not just participate but to win. And then he said, hey, I want you to take your life and put it right next to it. And I want you to know what do you see. It's kind of what he says. But then he kind of skips you. He doesn't give you anything else. And he says, but here's the thing, guys. Let me tell you what I see in my life. I exceed the Olympic athlete's zeal because my life is aiming at a price. Now, we already said it's not salvation. So what's the price? 1 Corinthians 3, the second one, verse, from verse 10. By the grace God has given me. Who did God give grace to? Paul. Say Paul. So there's a portion of grace that God gave to Paul. So he's saying, according to what God gave me, I laid the foundation like a wise builder. The ESV says, a skilled master builder. So he says, God gave a portion of his life to me. And I worked out that portion and I didn't just build. I was a skilled master builder. Just building wasn't enough. 
there was not just quantity, there was quality to Paul's life. And we are all sitting here because of that quality. Come on. And he says, I had laid the foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. And then you see he makes the point and he whiplashes again. But each one take care of how he builds. So again, Paul goes like, hey, you're a great builder. Awesome, you build. But how do you build? We started the previous verse when he goes like, hey, it's not enough that you should run. Everybody is running. He starts this one and says, hey, it's not enough that you are building something with your life. Everybody is building. Take care on how you run and take care on how you build. It is the way in which we live that Paul is addressing. Not just that we have eternal life, the way in which we live. Holiness is not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing in the right way. It's not just doing the right thing in the right way. It's doing the right thing in the right way beautifully. Because beauty reveals who God is. Beauty is a manifestation of wisdom. And a life that is wholly given to Him does not just look at did I finish the task. It's did everything that I do reveal the beauty of what He is like. Can I not just say I saw a thousand salvations, but every single person I called, every time I walked out the door, is everything in my life worship unto the lover of my soul or does it have to have a religious bent before I do it like that? We need to ask ourselves, what has love produced in the way that we live? Not just the way that we do ministry, but in the way that we live. For no one can lay the foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work, say his work, will be shown for what it is because the day, say the day. Most Bibles has that day as a capital D. That is a great eschaton. It's a, fam a fancy word for the end of the age. That is the day when God will judge all of our motives, all of our work, that He will come. And it says it here, He says, It will bring it into the light. It will be revealed with fire. And fire will test the quality. Say quality. So it seems that God isn't just happy that you stroll through life. He's not just happy that you run in the race. He's not just happy that you are building a building. He's actually testing not participation, but the quality of your participation. Now, before I go on, and the enemy twists some of these words, let me say this. Paul says, each one, run. He didn't say, run like Gabriel. Each one. Paul said, according to the grace given to me. He didn't say I was mimicking somebody else's grace and that's why I'm a skilled builder. He said, no, no, there's a portion that God gave me and I'm responding to that portion as a love offering. So the quality of our work 
is not the quality of your comparison. It's the quality of how you've responded to grace. It is the quality of how you've responded to love beckoning you to follow Him. Now, this is almost scarier. Because the reason why is it kind of looks like God doesn't give you the privilege of blaming somebody else. Because like your work, not your mother's work, not your father's work, not your ex-boyfriend's work, your work. That's what I will judge. Now, he's not saying eternal hell. You understand? We're not there. You're saved. I'm not talking about that. But we're talking about quality. Let's keep going. Everybody okay? Okay, okay. Just making sure. But today we'll, we'll bring it to light. It will reveal the fire and the fire will taste the quality of each man's work. Verse 14. If what he has built survives, he will receive his what? His what? His reward. You remember 1 Corinthians 9? I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. There is a reward again for the quality of the work the same way as there is a prize for what for how well you have run and it seems that paul is consistently going hey the thing that drives my engine the thing that makes me bold beautifully the thing that makes me run disciplined is that there's a reward at the end of the age there is a reward and he says when that great day comes, fire will come upon it and it will test all of our lives. So one of my friends a few years ago had a dream and it's a wild dream, but it's the best way to explain this. And in this dream, this friend of mine, and this is wild, say wild. Okay, so I'm warning you. If you don't like wild things, just go la 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 la. <clears throat> but I think I'm in the right place. This friend of mine in his dream opens his eyes and he is standing in this big white room. And in front of him is an angel in this dream. And it has a box in his hand. And from this box is emanating light. From this box is emanating glory. And the, the, the angel comes and he, he pushes it towards him like he should take it. And my friend's like, that, that's too holy. I can't touch that. Don't, don't put that close to me. And all of a sudden, the angel opens it up and light shines out of it and he can't almost see. And as his eyes get used to it, he sees that it is a crown. And it is the most beautiful crown. The most beautiful thing this friend of mine has ever seen. And on all of the stones, there's written things and names of little small acts of obedience that he has done throughout his life. A cup of water here, a kind smile there. And this crown is almost like alive. And the angel says, you need to take this. And my friend is like, there's no way I'm touching that. That is so holy. 
I cannot touch this. And he takes the crown, this angel, and he doesn't really listen to him. And he puts it on his head. And, and, and my friend is like, he feels almost guilty. His eyes are closed. And the moment he opens his eyes, the angel is gone. And there's the white room in front of him. There's a crack right in front of him, from the bottom. Crack. As far as he can see, the crack goes up. And it opens up and it's this massive doors and smoke comes in. And he takes a step forward. And the moment he took a step forward, he sees Jesus on the throne. The moment he saw Jesus, he took the crown, threw it at his feet, fell at his feet. And he looked in anxiety behind him. And he's like, I have nothing else to give him. I have, I have nothing else. I, I had that one crown. I, I wish I had more to give him. And if you want to know what is the prize that Paul is aiming at, is that that great day when he stands before the King of Glory, that there will be a freight train full of acts of loving obedience, that he can say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. That he will go like, look at this piece of love. Look at this day here that he will forever be able to throw at his feet little acts of obedience and said, look, my life showed I loved you. It wasn't when everybody was dancing, it was when nobody was looking. It was also when everybody was dancing, but my life, the reward at the end of the age. So when I see you, I don't come empty handed. I come with a life full of thank yous. An upper room, my question to you this evening is, what is your aim? What is your aim? Is it to fit into this culture? Is it to do your job only well? Is it to be able to understand the Bible only? So you can tell your friends you're smart. Is it to feel good? I want to say, my friends, that there is a motivator that can take you beyond anything else. And that motivator is the revelation like Mary of Bethany that you can bring before him something costly and you know what Whew. Jesus wasn't a stoic when she broke everything at his feet he said forever they will remember you Jesus isn't unmoved by our obsession he loves it when we love him he is moved when we love him he, his heart is expressed. He is emotive when we love him. Upper room, I want to ask you, do you want to see what he looks like when you give him what only you can? What Gabe cannot give him. What Michael Miller cannot gave, give him. What Jehoshaphat cannot give him. What can you give him that nobody else can give? 
How does it look like when eternity is truly stamped on your eyeballs and you wake up every morning saying, God, nobody might see this moment, but I'm looking for my Father in secret. And I know that one day there will be a reward. And the reward is not goosebumps now. It is not even good feeling. The reward might only be at the end of the age when you look at me and say, Gabe, nobody knew but me and you knew. If you want to know upper room, what will shift this nation? It's Christians who live for that day. Are people who live for that day. But people sometimes say, you're so earthly, you're so heavenly minded, you have no earthly good. I want to tell you, all of the New Testament says, if you are not eternally minded, you will be of no earthly good. Because you know what? Only eternity can motivate you to do things that suck now. Only eternity motivates. Only eternity. And I want to end us off with reading us a poem. Come on. I need to have something up my sleeve here. I, I didn't write it. Sorry, guys. I know my lane. person who wrote this so a young lady who was a teenager moved to India her name is Amy Carmichael she was obsessed with Jesus and as a single lady she wrote this poem to the lover of her soul I want to read this to you and then I want to invite you to respond however you can. And here's my altar call today. If you know that other things have driven you, comparison, success, the ministry hierarchy, whatever you want to call it, making money. If you've known there's something else Except pure love. I believe this morning, this evening, there's grace in this building. To become obsessed once again. Holiness is being addicted to the maximum pleasure of life, which is God Himself. I was an addict. I know how addicts live. Nothing can stop me getting to him. From the prayer that asked that I might be sheltered from the winds that beat on thee. From fearing when I should aspire. From faltering when I should climb higher. From the silken self O captain, free thy soldier who would follow thee. From the subtle love of softer things, from easy choices and weakenings. Not this the way that went the crucified, from all that dims thy Calvary. O Lamb of God, deliver me. 
Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointment tires, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be cold. Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. Father, this evening, as I'm here with my friends at Upper Room, we pray, make us your fuel, O flame of God. God, I ask, birth in us holy love. God, I ask that you birth in us in a deeper way to every young person in this room. God, I ask, Lord, that you would birth in us a holy obsession that what motivates us to move beyond what others would call religious. God, to be master skill builders. God, to be those who run and have self-discipline in all things. God, I ask that you would reveal and break into every heart in this room that great and wonderful day when we will stand before you. When we would look into your eyes. When we would have the privilege to give account. God, I ask this evening in every heart, Holy Spirit, that you will make real that there is an appointment yet to come. And the only thing that will matter is what you call our lives. just want us to stay in this place. And if you're here and that you know that in any level you have quenched that place with comparison or lived in compar or, or compromise or in any way that you feel the spirit is moving you saying you need to respond to me today I just want to ask you however you want to do it around the room if you need to come front and on your knees if you want to stand where you are I just want you to respond right now I just want to give us a few seconds to do that thank you Jesus thank you Holy Spirit